the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. It is officially game day. When you guys are hearing this, we're recording on a Wednesday before Ohio State is playing Minnesota. We have made it, and this is your only game day Buckeye for the year. Yes, we're releasing on Thursday this week, but as always, we're giving you everything you need to know before you watch the game against Minnesota tonight. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be great. Uh, how long has it been? Nine months? It's been a long time. Way too long. And as always, I'm here with Jordan Williams. How are you doing today, Jordan? Man, it's a national holiday. I'm doing great. Yeah, we're at college football eve officially. As we're recording this, it's going to be absolutely surreal to sit back, relax. I know it's a road game, uh, so we don't get that energy in Columbus here yet. But I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about today. We're getting into the presser from this week, just kind of our takeaways, how the team seems like they're feeling. Are we going to talk about game day? It's 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 here. It's our it's our time. It's our traditions. They're back. It's official. And yes, it's a Thursday night game at eight p.m. But that's okay. We've got a quick Minnesota scouting report. We're going to talk about their scheme a little bit. We're going to talk about what they do and what Ohio State can do to beat it. And then the biggest storylines heading into the game for Ohio State as well as the biggest off-field story of the week because it was just too juicy not to include in the show. And then we're going to. Give you guys our game predictions. Uh, so, yeah, let's get it started. Jordan, how are you feeling that game day is here? Man, I'm excited, honestly. Um, it's been like literally it feels like the longest offseason ever. Um, it, even though it feels long, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good news, as we talked about on Buck Off. So much going on, but I'm just ready for football. I'm ready to watch the games. I'm ready for a full season. I know we got last season, but it really doesn't feel like it. So it really feels like we've had two years since college football. Um, I'm just like, honestly, like I'm high on Ohio State, all this other kind of stuff, but I'm just ready to watch football. I don't care what happens. This is never going to happen, but Ohio State could go 0-12 and, and I'd be happy. Like, I really just am excited to watch college football yeah honestly i'm 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 borderline emotional because you're right like a year ago today uh ohio state wasn't playing football not to bring back bad memories the season was still canceled and the ball wasn't even rolling yet on getting it started again and without fans in the stands without some of those fame traditions that we love to see on saturdays with all the different schedules and lengths of season it was a really weird year to follow so i'm glad Number one, that people are going to get to attend games. Uh, I think that's unbelievable. I think uh, it shows a year removed how important fans are to the sport. Uh, This week, I'm excited because we get games, honestly, starting the night we record Wednesday. We're going to get games all Thursday. We're going to get games Friday. We're going to get games Saturday. And since it's the last week before the NFL season, we get games Sunday and Monday as well. So we're going to have five straight days of college football season. Uh, starting off with their first weekend. That's the beauty of Labor Day weekend. And we all have Monday off next week. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I know uh, I missed the the few beverages I'd have during games. I missed uh, just being able to enjoy these games with my friends, with my family. 
Uh, I know it's just it's just exciting for everyone. It's just this is why we talk about the sport the way we do. This is why we're here talking to you guys. So I'm just excited to be back in a season. No threats of cancellation as of now, knock on wood. And we're living life. I mean, yeah, I think you said it perfectly. I mean, everything. It's just college football season is the best time of year for me. And so uh, I, I I don't know how to put it out any better in words than you did, but I'm excited for all of it. Um, and I'm also excited just personally uh, because I'm, I moved to Columbus, so I won't be watching all the games by myself. I have a tendency, especially uh, when I was in West Virginia, to watch games by myself because, like, no one that I'm really close to really likes football as much as me. But I have friends in Columbus who actually like football. And then, obviously, there's Chris and some of our other LGHL staff and stuff like that. So I'm also excited uh, because there's going to be some time to actually, like, watch football with other people. Um, And I think some of my favorite things about football in general is – I can't think of it. There's actually a name for it, but I can't think of the name of it. It's just like even whether you're with people or not, everyone's watching the same thing. Like when I go to my Twitter or like whether it's my personal Twitter or my podcast Twitter, everyone's talking about the same thing. Everyone's reacting to the plays. Somebody's really quick putting up big plays, ESPN and all these graphics and stuff like that. And you just go on your timeline and you start like the last – I don't remember what game it was. Oh, it was week zero. Like, I'm responding to, like, six of Chris's tweets. Like, there's no way we can even manage a conversation because we're all tweeting about the same thing. And there's just so much going on. So it's just, like, that's another one of my favorite things, like, to be able to watch with people, but also just, like, go on social media and the whole timeline just talking college football, uh, analyzing the game, what it means in the moment, talking trash, like – yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's like I think college football is the most community driven sport there is on the planet, especially in the United States, because this is all based on locality, region, the school you attended. It's all stuff that's actually personal to you versus, you know, pro sports. A lot of people like teams where they're not from the city, you know, and it's not, not a knock on pro sports at all. They're still fun. There's still a lot of great aspects about pro fanhood, but with college sports, it really is like personal. It's it's great because Ohio State fans look at Ohio State as an embodiment of the state of Ohio. They look at them as a representation of the excellence that they believe Ohio is. And like you can't trade that. That's what makes college football better than any sport in the world, in my opinion, is just how much people care about it. Because it's an emotional sport. It's more emotional than other sports to me. Because like the Browns, I'm a Browns fan. You're a Colts fan. When we see them win, it's awesome. It makes our day. When we see them lose, it's like, ah, you know, Sunday. Eh, it's a Sunday. It's the NFL season. We've got like 15 more of these, you know. In college football, every single game matters. And I know with playoff expansion talks and all that, it's kind of people are scared it's going to lessen that. But I don't think so because it's personal. Like when we play a team from the South as Ohio, as an Ohio State fan and graduate, it means a lot when Ohio State beats a Southern team. It means a lot when they go to the West Coast or a West Coast team comes to Columbus and Ohio State beats them. And that's the best part of college football. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. There's also just significantly more teams. Like I said, I went to grad school in West Virginia. I didn't want to be in West Virginia, but you know what I did in West Virginia? I went to football games and I felt that little bit of community there. And like now I don't follow them as heavily as Ohio State, but I still follow West Virginia because I spent a year and a half there, two football seasons, um, going to games in public before the pandemic, um, you know, the, all of the traditions and the different things that they do on like first downs and all that other kind of stuff. And I remember my first game watching people uh, trying to figure out like, okay, what do they do? There's this one thing that they do every first down. And I remember for like the whole first game, I was late. Like every single time I was late. It was like, first down, first down. I'm like, oh crap. Okay. So like, I'm now a West Virginia fan, and I would never have been a West Virginia fan. I knew nothing about West Virginia fo- football except Tavon Austin. Um, and now it's like, that's another team. Like, I literally, like, I know that name of the coach. I know some of the players. I'm following them. And, like, you don't get that in other places. Like, when I go visit Florida, I don't become a Jacksonville fan. Like, when I go visit, you know, Miami, I don't become a Dolphins fan. Like, if I ever go to California, I'm not going to be a fan of either the Rams or the Chargers. But, like, with college football, just that community can make you root for someone, even though it's not going to take over your fandom. But, like, you know, I'll read an Ohio State story, and then I'll go read a West Virginia story. Or if the Ohio State game's on, I'm going to go turn on that West Virginia game, see how they're doing. So it's just like – you know, college football is different. Yeah, and I, I think, like, honestly, you could hear the energy change in our voices. Like, we're just excited to be here right now. Uh, I know personally, like, uh, I've been following along with all these games so far. Uh, we watched almost every single game this past weekend. Like, absurd amounts of college football. Uh, from the morning, that terrible Nebraska-Illinois game to Alcorn State closing it out that night with that crazy loss. Like, that's what college football is, and that's what I'm going to be doing every Saturday from here on out. And Thursday as well, because Ohio State's playing then. And I guess that takes me into it. Like, you know, the Big Ten made a very interesting decision a few years back to start scheduling conference games as the opener. And I think that is a very community-driven decision. I think it's a very high – I think it's a very good idea. And Ohio State's taking on Minnesota, a conference foe like it doesn't get bigger than that week one. Yeah, like so this is interesting. Uh, you know, the Big Ten has moved to a conference-only schedule on the opening weekend. And I think that adds a very uh, immense amount of intrigue when it comes to the games. It adds an extra amount of importance because it doesn't get any more important than a conference game before you start really playing anybody. Like your first game's against someone who knows you better than you know yourself. And yes, Minnesota's in the Big Ten West. But we've still played him historically. We've played him in the past. And that, to me, is a reason that this game is going to be a little bit more challenging than some people may want to lead on. No, I agree. Um, You know, good or bad, it's hard to play conference teams. It's hard to play teams that, you know know you it's slightly easier with like the crossover because we don't play minnesota all the time but minnesota i mean uh fleck is this is i think his fourth year i believe no this is his fifth year so he knows ohio state he's played ohio state multiple times so he knows how to game plan there's a wealth of film 
Ryan Day's been there for, I think, four years as starting as an offensive coordinator. So they know each other well. And that's just not even, you know, Ohio State, Minnesota. That's all the Big Ten teams. So, but also, not only is it tough just to play the games, it's tough because of the stakes. I mean, you get that first conference loss. And for some teams, you know, it's going to be major. I mean, you know, we have, you know, it's taking a step out of Ohio State. Minnesota, I mean, Iowa plays Penn State, plays Indiana, and Wisconsin plays Penn State. Whoever loses those games is effectively out of the running yeah. for winning a conference championship. And, like, when you look at the scheduling, like, the East versus the West at the beginning of the year, like, unless the West goes 0 for 3, then, which is, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they get one out of the three games that we just mentioned. But... I just think like it's overall like it's it's a tough matchup, you know. It is. It and I think it really puts a wrench in your plans cuz starting off behind a game is not easy cuz that means you have to win one to make it up. And then you have to beat the yeah. teams head to head who are game up on you to try to close the gap. So yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit more once we get into our Minnesota scouting report. I guess I kind of wanted to get into the presser this week. We got to see if we got any takeaways that will let us kind of see how the team's feeling going into week one. And uh, I don't know how you broke it down for yourself, but I just have a quote that I think says it all. You know, I I think a lot of people realize, like, this is going to be the first road game with fans uh, we've seen in some time. Like, this is something – it's it's tough because we haven't seen this team play on the road. So, Day stated in the press conference, going on the road is going to be a challenge – for us. First time in a while we played in front of a packed house. I just kind of wanted to get your feelings on Ryan Day putting that out there. Uh, I think it's I think it's true. I think he's just being honest. Like this is an obstacle that they're gonna have to overcome. And obviously they have the talent to do it, but it's something to think about. Yeah, I think I, I think it's interesting because I think sometimes with these really big teams, you know, you forget the other factors. Um, And, you know, there are some players on the roster who are going to play really big roles who have either A, never played in a college football game or B, never played in a college football game with the packed house. Um, And so that matters, like the momentum, the the swings, having to fight through that crowd, um, those kind of things, those little things can throw you off your game. And, when you have talent, yeah, you think you can overcome that. But if, you know, for example, I don't know, uh, Dewan Jones is having problems. And not to say that he will, but let's say he has problems. He's potentially our starting right tackle. If you take him out the game because he's having problems, you just got worse talent-wise. There's a gap in between the next person. And so those kind of things can affect you because you need everyone to play at their top level, um, especially whatever the top level provides for week one, because there's always going there's already going to be week one jitters for the coaching staff, for the players trying to get into a groove. And then you add in the fans and all that other kind of stuff. And it's on the road like those are a lot of factors that go into the game outside of just pure. Are you fast? Can you catch? Do you have four or five stars? Like, uh, and those things are important, and they're important because they can equalize a game. Yeah, and I just think when you really look at what this game is, and I, I keep seeing people throwing out there's weather, and I, I don't know, I don't know how accurate Apple's weather app is, but I'm, I'm not seeing any rain in Minneapolis. So that could just be my app being a little late to the game, or someone's getting their weather outlet from a different source. We know any sort of added stuff in the first game when it's already hard enough in a first game because 
we talk about this all the time. In a first game, it's hard to tackle. It's hard to do the little things as good as you will in week six and week seven. So it, it just any added obstacles really make amplify those mistakes. Uh, yeah. No, you go. Ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, and this is not sexy and this is not the things that people care about, but as someone that interned on a college coaching staff and also did equipment there, like the game day operation is not normal. I mean, there are sometimes, right. And maybe it's different on Ohio state. Maybe like you typically try to practice these things, but there are times you get to game one and you have some issues with your mic setup and you can't hear the press box or you have some things to work out with who should be in the press box and who shouldn't, you know, I heard, um, there was a, a podcast I was listening to that was saying that like part of the issue with Greg, um, with uh, uh, Greg Schiano is he's not a pre- he's not a on field coach he's a press box coach um, and he would he had trouble making adjustments but Urban Meyer wanted him on the field because of his energy and those are the things that you don't know as your new defensive coordinator as your new coach like what is your system which GA should be in the press box and which GA should be on the ground like all those little things that you know fans don't know or don't uh, care about they matter week one and any issue in communication, getting a play called, um, the boards, like the the fan, like any of that can it can cause, you know, one play that can change. Yeah, the game. think about it. Like the bus shows up ten minutes late, and then you get to the stadium, you're ten minutes behind. You're rushing, so it, it really like these are little things on game day from the operational side that on the road it's different. You don't know how it's going to go at home. Ohio State's got their game one down to an absolute science. Like, I wouldn't be worried about any of that stuff at all. Like, that's something the road team worries about. Uh, I'm not saying we're going to run into any issues. I'm not trying to put that out there. I'm not trying to put a bad burden out into the world. I'm just bringing up reasonable expectations. Like, first games, there are going to be errors. Absolutely. They're weird. They're weird. Ohio State's the definitively more talented team roster-wise than Minnesota. Uh, They return experience in a lot of key positions. Uh, Minnesota, I think you said it, returns like 98% of their production in a lot of places. The only production they don't return is Rashad Bateman. So at the end of the day, like you're playing an experienced team. Uh, We've talked about this a little bit. And I guess the fans in the stands, I think that's crazy. And I, I think we're hoping our team is a team that thrives on silencing haters and doubters and opposing fan bases. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be fun. I think the players are going to be fine. I think the coaches are going to be fine. Uh, only reason I even yeah. bring up all this kind of stuff, and I think the same thing as you, is just if the game looks weird, if Ohio State doesn't immediately look dominant, if it's close when you feel like it shouldn't, these are the kind of things that happen. And, you know, unless they lose, don't go into, you know, a doomsday scenario uh, because, you know, simply week ones are weird. Yep. All right. You got any takeaways you saw from the press conferences this week? Anything that really kind of caught your eye? Yeah. One thing, um, just starting with the quarterbacks, because whatever, it's the quarterback. I I think we talked about this before is how they would manage the quarterbacks. And so um, we were right. Um, I'm starting to think that we're psychic. He's essentially admitted that he's going to treat CJ Stroud like he did Justin Fields, and he's not going to take him out the game. Um, He literally said, you know, he said, so I don't have the exact quote because it's not in what I'm reading, but he basically said the plan is not to play 
a second quarterback. And then he followed that up with saying, um, you know, there's not a backup quarterback been named and it would make his life a lot easier if there was a clear cut number two. And you can take that to mean whatever. There could be a clear cut number two. And he's just saying that because he don't know, it doesn't want anyone to transfer. But the biggest takeaway is that unless they're somehow beating Minnesota by like 35, which I just doubt because Minnesota is a good team. Um, CJ Stroud is going to play start to finish. Like we may not see a backup quarterback at all unless knock on wood, CJ Stroud gets injured and a helmet comes off. He has to miss a play, something like that. And I just thought that was interesting. Also expected. Um, like I said, I think we're psychic, yeah. but um, it was just, it was interesting that he confirmed. Yeah, and I think, I think it's something you bring up. I think we are on some telepathic way with Ryan day because we have really been right on his radar this whole time. And I just want you guys to know, we are not texting Ryan day and getting this information. We just seem to just I we wish. just seem to be on the same page as what Ryan Day's doing. I, I think when you take our experience recently around football programs, we kind of understand the inner workings a little bit. And at, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think CJ Stroud playing every single game says two things. Uh, he needs reps, absolutely. He he's a right. first year starter. Regardless of how well he plays in the first half, he needs reps. He needs as many live game reps as he can get. Because guess what? 10 days later, we're playing a much better roster than Minnesota. The other hand, I think it also is respecting the opponent a little bit. Like if you said, hey, we're going to try to get two or three quarterbacks in there, that either says two things, you don't actually have a starting quarterback, or you're really confident that this team is not good enough and you're going to be able to play multiple quarterbacks. And I don't think any coach has ever wanted to go into a game disrespecting their opponent like that because that is really just adding bulletin board material for them to go off of. And I just I just don't think Ryan Day would ever do that. Yeah, no, I think he's too smart, and Minnesota's a good team. I mean, two years ago, they went 11-2. and two. Last year, they lost four games, sure, but they lost to Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, and the last one was Maryland. Sure, you can say you shouldn't lose to Maryland, but anyone that follows the Big Ten knows Maryland always has one game where their output is just ridiculous and they can beat anybody. They've almost beat Ohio State. We've talked about it. Ohio State very recently gave over 200 rushing yards to a Maryland running back. Um, and Tulua uh, Tagovailoa is very good. Yeah. Um, and then losing to Wisconsin and Iowa, you're going to be mad about that. And Michigan's a toss-up because Michigan should be the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten. Some years they should be the first. So they lost two teams they essentially should have lost to and where you think Minnesota is in a pandemic. So that's not indicative of what they are this year. Yeah, and like we got to think about it. It's conference-only schedule. You're playing your Big 10 West foes exclusively last year outside of the couple crossovers they got uh, in Maryland and Michigan. So – I, I, you draw Michigan, who has the second most talented roster according to college football's uh, 24-7 sports composite, their talent composite. And then Maryland, like you said, uh, I, I mean, they, they were good offensively. You were never going to think they were bad offensively. So I, I think uh, this conversation circles back to C.J. Stroud is going to have to put up points to win this game. C.J. Stroud's going to have to get reps. So he's able to continue to develop, get his feet wet, get comfortable as a starter. A very similar to when Ohio State played Florida Atlantic a few years ago. Yes, Justin Fields played, uh, I think, 95% of that game. I don't think he came out in that game, if I remember correctly. And a lot of people, 
I was sitting with her like, why haven't they taken him out yet? I'm like, dude, this is his first start. Like, why would they take him out? Like, he needs as many reps as he can. He needs to hand the ball off as much as he can. He needs to throw the ball as much as he can. And he needs to make as many reads as he can in game situations because it's way different. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think sometimes people forget that Ryan Day is the de facto quarterback's coach. Um, you know, no negative things to Corey Dennis, but I think Corey Dennis is our age, maybe a year or two yeah. older. He's young. He's very young, and he got the job because he's been there. Um, you know, the connection with Urban Meyer, he's married to his daughter. But most importantly, Ryan Day said he got the job because of continually. But also, if you remember last year, Ryan Day essentially said that because of the pandemic, him and Justin Fields worked one-on-one and he wasn't in the quarterback's room or other places because they didn't want him to catch COVID. So Ryan Day is the quarterback's coach. Um, And that's important because he knows how to handle quarterbacks. Um, I think sometimes when you have a, 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 um, a head coach or even an offensive coordinator who never actually worked with quarterbacks, you can start thinking, you know, big picture and oh injuries and things like that. But someone who works day to day with quarterbacks like Ryan Day, like Lincoln Riley, like some of these other guys, I think they know that even if you're not throwing like you can, you know, take down, take down the game plan. So you're not trying to put up 100 points, but the little things yeah. matter, the cadence the snap, handing off the ball, reading, like those kind of things, and you need the snaps to get those. Yeah, and I, I think you brought up, like, Ryan Day being not only just a quarterback's coach in the NFL and, like, throughout his career, uh, he was a quarterback. So he understands the psyche of the position better than anyone. Yeah. And as a former quarterback, as a former offensive coordinator, as a former quarterback's coach at a high level, like, he's got the big-picture idea of what makes offenses great, especially – starting from the quarterback standpoint and working out to a macro level. Like that's why I think anytime he talks about quarterbacks, my ears are like, they're pointing up. I'm like, I'm like, say stuff. Like I need to learn here. Like I know whatever you're going to say, even if it's nothing, I learned something because I know why you're saying nothing now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and that's one of my, my favorite things because, you know, Ryan day, like most head coaches can be very vague, but when it, comes to talking about the quarterback position, especially when you ask him a question that's not tied to a particular name and he has to talk good or bad about a player, you really learn a lot. And you really learn his thought process on how he views the quarterback position and what he wants. Um, And so, and I think he's very honest. So I think those are all important things. And so um, when he speaks, you should listen. I listen, you listen. I hope you all listen. Like you really do learn a lot. And then you, and then you don't get surprised by certain decisions. Yeah. And I think, I think to close out the CJ Stroud, the quarterback reps, I think that's going to be the case with a lot of people. I know they said, if you get on the bus, you're going to play. I, I'm not sure how much I fully believe that. I don't think everyone who travels is going to play. I do think you're going to get special teams guys. I think those reps like count towards that. So he might be right. Everyone will get a snap or something. But the guys who play meaningful offensive snaps, I don't think it's going to be that great of a number, a meaningful defensive snaps. Because guess what? We've talked about it. The defensive backs, uh, a lot of inexperience there. The linebacker position, we don't know much about it. So I don't think this is just solo to the quarterback position. I think uh, the team is going to want to have the newer players play as much as they physically can. And I think that's how it's going to play out this weekend. And if the game's close, that's going to mean more to those reps as well. 
Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting, just because you mentioned linebacker, this wasn't in my original thing to talk about. Um, but another quote is that he said he feels good about uh, Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon, Dallas Garrett, Steel Chambers, Trotter Mitchell, and Kayvon Pope. And you listen to that and you're like, maybe he just named all the linebackers in the linebacker room. But I think it's interesting that he mentioned Tommy Eichenberg in particular because he's someone that people expected to be good, but like, He's someone I think most people, myself included, expected to take some time. Like Cody Simon was like a physical freak. So everyone was like, okay, that's a guy who could play early. Just like when Raekwon McMillan came, they're like, that's a guy who can play early no matter who's in the room. But I think Tommy was a guy that's like, you're really good, but like you may take some time to develop whatever but for him to be seemingly be ready now i think that's important especially as far as depth because if they are not good or they stumble or an injury having him who i feel like is a year early um i think that's good yeah because i think bringing up eichenberg bringing up some of these younger guys who have progressed at a much faster rate than we initially thought I think Tommy Eichenberg wasn't even in our depth chart projection last week when we were kind of starting to preview this. So it's really like we're going to see some names that might surprise us uh, tonight or Thursday evening. So, yeah, so like I was saying, uh, we had to take a quick break due to some technical difficulties. But, yeah, I I think, Jordan, we're going to see some new faces that we just weren't really expecting. You know, like, yes, there's the – one through 22 that I think we predicted. I think we predicted that pretty well. I don't know if they're going to release depth charts or anything along those lines as the season progresses or as we come into the Minnesota game. I'm just not sure what we're looking at there. But like Tommy Eichenberg was a good example. There's going to be some defense alignment maybe. A guy you like, Michael Hall. He's a guy we might see immediately. We don't know. Uh, So I do think there's going to be some names where – we see him come out. Cam Martinez might have a very important role on this team. He's another name we've talked about. He's developed a lot, but we just haven't seen anything from him yet. So I just kind of want to get – I'm excited. That's one of the things I'm excited about for game day. No, I agree 100%. And I think I think it's funny because a lot of – I'm not even going to go into this rant, but for some reason – you know, Ohio State is the only program ever that's never just had a, a down year. Like we've not, not not a down year. We've never had a down time period of like five years where we weren't good. But like no one gives us the benefit of the doubt like they give, you know, Ohio State and Clemson as we as they give Alabama and Clemson. Alabama, I think it's deserved. Clemson, I don't. Um, and we don't have to go into that, but a lot of like national media is like, yeah, Ohio State could be a 10 and two team. They're probably going to lose this, that and the third. I think it's funny because Ohio State hasn't lost two regular season games since 2009. I actually looked up this stat. Outside the fickle year, which is an anomaly, they haven't lost two regular season games since 2009. And in 2009, they played number three USC. So anyone predicting us to lose two games is like that would be a, a serious, like a major regression for Ohio State. But I think it's funny to this point because everything you hear from camp is all these young, talented guys are starting to flash. You hear Mike Hall. You hear Dewan Jones, which is major. You hear Tommy Eichenberg. You hear um, – what are the two corners? Is it Ja'Kalen Johnson or is it uh, – No, it's uh, – it's, uh... You've got Denzel Burke. He's yep. flashing. There's uh, Ryan Watts, still a young guy. He's flashing. And then Jordan Hancock was yeah, flashing. Jordan Hancock. Yeah, like you hear all these young guys who are early. And then that's not even to talk about the wide receivers, who I was also going to mention. Like, um, 
they said that Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Mbuka, like outside of this, six. yeah, like outside of just being talented, they're saying that they understand the game at a high level and that they are not at day one conversations. Like not even just yeah. like learning the intricacies, intricacies of running routes. Like they understand the offense and why they're doing it in depth and all that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot. Like I mean, you just said it. There's a lot of young names that we're going to see this year, and I think well, there's. I think think about this. Like we talked about the importance of a full off season. Like these young guys are having the opportunity to flash because they got a full off season. Yeah, exactly. And I wish I wish I had the quote because um I think Brian Hartline is he, he said exactly that. He said it's you see after not having it, you see how much young players can progress who had it. And honestly, you whether it's talent or the offseason, you could argue that this year's wide receivers are further ahead than last year's wide receivers, except um except um oh of course I'm gonna lose names in the middle of doing this. Uh Jackson, Jackson Smith. yes, except Jackson Smith and Jigba because they had a full offseason on top of their talent. Yeah, I think it's incredible. I, I, I think when you really look at what spring practice is for, it's for learning. Uh, you know, it's for getting the basics of the scheme down. And I don't think a lot of people realize how far that goes. I know Julian Fleming had to be negatively impacted because a big conversation piece this week was he's coming from a wing T offense. Right. So a lot of people don't realize for his school, he was Megatron at Georgia Tech. Like he was their one receiving option. Uh, team's game plan for him. He still went off almost every single time out. He doesn't know the intricacies of a – pro style of these spread concepts that Ryan Day's running. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have the full spring off season that a program was lucky enough to get this year. So why is Julian Fleming caught up and caught on so much this year? It's because he's had the opportunity to practice, to work, to be in the film room consistently. He's not coming off a of shoulder surgery. He is healthy finally. So a lot of these things are going to start lining up. It's the same thing with Teron Vincent. A lot of people expected a dominant season from Teron Vincent coming off that offseason. It was a very tough offseason for him to come in for his first reps. And I think we're going to see a lot of growth from players last year who might have struggled in their starting roles get even better this year. I think so, too. And I think that's that's hilarious because sometimes with the really top programs, you don't want to talk about how COVID affected them. Like, you don't want to talk about how COVID affected Ohio State or Alabama or other places like that. But it's fair to talk about how it affected Penn State or how it affected Iowa, who started 0-2 and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it did affect them. And so you think of all the the players who got playing time, who just, you know, just got playing time, which is helpful. Then you think of the full offseason, the extra year of eligibility, like all that kind of stuff. Like iron sharpens iron going against each other because, you know, there were practices where they really weren't around each other. They didn't get to do as much as they wanted to because of social distancing and that kind of stuff. Like, I think there's I think there's a chance you see a, a major jump from Ohio State um, and, and not just Ohio State, but this is an Ohio State podcast. So we don't care about anybody else. But those teams with top end talent, I think you see a major jump from them. Uh, and I think you see a major jump from true freshmen over some of those redshirt freshmen were sophomore, true sophomores, because they, I mean, they got the full experience. The only leg up you have is the weight room. Yeah, and like we said, even last year, not all of them fully got the weight room stuff. So Some of them were working out in their houses. Yeah, it really hurt last year's 
uh, freshman class more than this year's freshman class. But yeah, I guess getting into this, I think uh, the presser was a very good indication of kind of what we can expect. But I think we got to look at the opponent a little bit here. Uh, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, the Gophers, we've already talked about them a little bit. We talked about them a little bit last week. Uh, from what I've seen from Minnesota, they haven't really changed much offensively the last three or four years because P.J. Fleck knows what he wants the offense to be. He's found coordinators to kind of fulfill that job. And I, I want to kind of get your initial thoughts on what you see for Minnesota. Last year, we know they took a step back in every major statistical category. Uh, so I kind of want your expectations from what you've been seeing kind of in an early scouting look. So I think Minnesota is what Ohio, what the Big Ten has needed for a very long time. Um, for some reason, within the last couple of years, the Big Ten has been top heavy and then everyone else has been bad. And you need those kind of middling teams who have a chance to rise up. Like you need your Auburns, your Ole Miss, your Mississippi States. Like you need um, those programs that, that the Big Ten hasn't really had for a while. So I think their place, you know, that's not, you know, so much scheme. But I think their place in the Big Ten is important. And I bring that up to go into like actually a little bit more about them. They're a well-coached team. They have talent. No, it's not top-end talent. Um, but I think one of the things that happens is when you have those kinds of teams, you have those Auburns, you have those old misses, you have those teams. When they get the right group of guys who get the right number of years behind them, they can be dangerous. I think we saw that with that 11-2 and two season. And I do think while their schedule is really hard, and so the, the, the end of the year record may not show it, Minnesota is not going to be an easy win for anybody. Um, I think they're going to be a very tough, strong team. They're really good uh, on the offensive line, and they're really big on the offensive line. I think someone said that, you know, if you average it out, their offensive line is like 6'5", 300 pounds. That's the number you expect to hear from Ohio State. Um, and, and some of it is, you know, because they have the 6'9 guy, right? But they're big all across the offensive line. They have a really experienced tailback who I didn't realize had been there for four years. Um, he's a senior. I thought he was in his second or third year, but he played really well against Ohio State in 2018. So, this is going on his fourth season. Um, you know, not the most talented quarterback in the world, but you have a veteran quarterback in Tanner Morgan. I think, you know, and we'll get deeper into it, but just first, you know, thoughts on them. They're a veteran team. They have what you they have that one or two positions that you want to shine, that you want like a, a transcendent or like a really, really powerful, like you want to have those positions that kind of separate you from other people. They have that and they have a good coach. And that's the start at least to a good season to making it uh, to making it hard for everybody. Yeah, and I think the offensive lines where it all starts and finishes, that's every single football team in the country. Uh, last year, they had a really big offensive line that struggled. So I, I'm looking at it, and I think their offensive line is going to be better. I know when we're reading through what guys like Zach Harrison were saying, what some of these defensive linemen were saying, uh, they're really big. But when we look at who they're going up against in practice, Ohio State's offensive line is really big. So I don't think that's going to be the advantage a lot of people think it is. Uh, I think receiver-wise, I, I really like Chris Ottenham. I think it's Bell. 
Uh, he's a really good, talented, deep threat. He's a guy who goes vertical. He was really good with Rashad Bateman as a number two. Uh, it's his time to be the number one. But the conversation starts and stops with Muhammad Ibrahim. If he can elude tackles, if he can get into space, if he can create angles to run uh, in their zone scheme, he is going to be a problem. He's hard to tackle. He's 5'9", 5'10". He's a load. He's like 205, 215 pounds. He's big for his size. And I, I think you're right. I don't think Tanner Morgan is a uh, top third quarterback in the Big Ten, but he's right in the middle. And you could win uh, the Big Ten West with that if the rest of the team does their job. Defensively is where I'm really interested because when they went 11 and two, they had the best defensive talent they've had in years. Yeah. I mean, uh, last year, the defense couldn't stop anybody, they couldn't slow down anyone. I'm looking at their past performances and I see. 49, 45, uh, 14 to Illinois. We saw Illinois' offense. Not great. Uh, 35 to Iowa, 31, 17 to Nebraska. We saw Nebraska's offense. Also not great. And then 20 to Wisconsin. We know Wisconsin doesn't play a type of game that really plays fast, plays loose. So I, I don't know. I definitely don't trust their defense. If I'm a Minnesota fan, that is the one place where I'm like worried significantly about this game. Uh, can you score with Ohio State? I think they're going to match a few points with us early. I do. Maybe not early, but there's going to be a point in time where they probably put up two or three touchdowns in this game. Uh, I think they're going to have some drives that are successful. It's going to be about Ohio State stopping them late. But like I said, and I know we brought up the 11-2 team being their most talented defensive team ever. We see NFL guys all over that defense. But – I, they don't have that this year. Here's my biggest thing with Minnesota and why, as tough as I think they're going to be, I don't give them any chance of really winning this game, is their strength on offense is Ohio State's strength on defense. Um, recently, the only way to beat Ohio State is to throw the ball. Um, and so Minnesota is – and their, their worst – part on defense, which is their run defense, is what Ohio State's going to do because they have a new quarterback. So Ohio State, even last year, and I'm going to pull it up because I think it's interesting because we always talk about how bad Ohio State's defense was last year, and they were compared to how Ohio State's defense is expected, but they were not bad against the run. They were just so bad on offense. They were just so bad against the pass that it you know made yeah. it change. But this is their um, – these are, these are their numbers on defense. They were number six rushing defense with 98 yards per game. They were 15 in yards per carry, 46 in explosive rush, and 71 in negative plays. And that speaks to they just didn't get a whole lot of penetration on their D-line. And then on offense, they were eighth in rushing offense with 257 yards per game. That was with, my, that was with uh, Mayan Williams, who... Not Mayan Williams. He wasn't playing. That was with Master, Master Teague, Teague, who and Tracer. you all, anyone who listens to this, know how I feel about Master Teague. And Trey Sermons, who had, as me and you talked about, really two and a half good games. And they still ran for 257 yards. They were third in the country at six yards per carry, fifth at 6.1, 6.5 yards per carry on first down, and number one in the country and an explosive rush with 9.8. So yeah, what is how is Minnesota going to stop the run? And we're better on the offensive line, and we're better at running back. Yeah, and I think Minnesota in seven games gave up fifteen hundred rushing yards. They gave up two hundred yards per game, right? 
Like, yeah. That's not good. That's not good as an understatement, honestly. That it's on it's that's bottom third of the country, and there's 130 teams. So uh, that is a very low bar to beat. And I think Ohio State, I know you don't feel great about Master T, but I think he really does actually provide a nice like skill set to play against a smaller Minnesota defense. I think him and Mayan Williams, and I think honestly, I, the only thing I, I'm not sure Travion Henderson plays that much, but even him, if we get him in space, I just in the spring game, their biggest issue was tackling. And I know it's a first game, and that is a big reason I just don't trust them offensively or defensively because, like you said, our strengths are their strengths, and I think our better players minimize their strengths. And when I was doing my game preview, my scouting report, go check that out, guys, on Land Grant Holy Land's feed, what they love to do throwing the ball, it's either quick screens or shots downfield, quick slants, shot downfield. Uh, it's not really a lot of high complex intermediate uh, reads. They're not taking five or six step drops. You know, you're not doing that type of stuff. It's not a complex defense It's or offense uh, where they have their complexities trick plays. So if you're running trick plays, that means you don't believe in your stuff to get it done. And that's how I've always felt about trick plays. Uh, yes, they're fun. But overall, I just don't see their offense being complicated enough. Uh, to really confuse the more talented Ohio State defense. And I think our defensive backs are going to be much improved. So if you're really going to be a two-pass type concept defense with deep passes and shallow passes, I just really don't see it being a a part of the game you could rely on. Yeah, and I just think of um, – I just think of when Ohio State can game plan for a running back – how good they do. And it's almost yeah. it's almost rarely, rarely do they good. I mean, you may remember a little bit better than me, and I, there may be one year that he did, but did Saquon Barkley ever rush for 100 yards in a game against Ohio State? I do not believe so. I remember being at the game where he returned the kickoff, and then he had a nice little first half, and I think he actually only ran for like 11 yards in the second half. Yeah, and same thing with uh, Jonathan Taylor. I think I think he did it once, but in most of his in most of his games, he didn't rush for um, 100 yards against Ohio State because when you have one running back who is really really good. And but Ohio State can game plan for it. You don't typically do too well. I mean, and that's just. But I I do think, and that, I don't want to. I'm not trying to, you know, say that Ibrahim is not good. He's really really good. And I also think I don't know if people are talking about this. I think he's an NFL running back. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I think he's a very you know second or third round pick, which is high for a running back in the NFL. Um, and I think he's going to have a long relative to running backs, but a long career. I think he's going to be really good. But I just wonder, you give Ohio State two, three weeks to game plan because they start putting in that first week game plan two, three weeks in. How does he fare when they when they load the box? And I think they're going to let yeah. them throw the ball, even though they like to throw it deep. And if you haven't read his game, his game film, uh, film breakdown, definitely do it. I think you'll learn a lot. But even though they like to throw it deep, I think Ohio State will test them at least in the beginning yeah. and they'll they'll stack the box, they'll let their corners live on an island and they'll try to get pass rush. Now, we're both high on Minnesota's offensive line. If they block well, 
and they hit one or two of those, then it just changes the complexity of the game. And that's what's going to let Ibrahim get off because Ohio State's not going to be able to pack yeah. the box. But Minnesota has to connect on a couple of deep passes in that first quarter because if Ohio State gets to live with six or seven guys in the box and they can just let their, let their you know, their safeties and corners live on an island to um, to go against that four verts and, and the different stuff that they like to do, it's going to be a long game for Ibrahim. Oh, for sure. And for sure, one thing I was thinking about was I talked about this with Ohio State's offense about staying on schedule. Uh, but uh, defensively, you also have to stay on schedule. If you could win first and second down and put them into obvious passing situations, you know how much easier that makes it for your defensive backs, makes it for your pass rushers. If Ohio State can win first and second down, whether they try an RPO and they don't gain any yards or whether they beat Muhammad Ibrahim and get him into the – like stop him at the line of scrimmage or for a short one- or two-yard gain, that's a huge win for the defense, and it really puts the defense in control of the game. And I know we we talk about this a lot is game control is extremely important. Uh, if you can control the down and distances as best you can. So if you're playing third and seven, third and eights more than you're playing third and fours and third and threes, the percentage of success rate on those third downs increases so much between that four yard difference. Uh, we used to have a chart in my uh, offensive meeting room about the percentages of field position and the percentage of down and distance. And I, I think it's absolutely absurd the difference between a third and four and a third and six. Yeah. And, you know, those are the things that really kind of go into the weeds that people don't pay attention to. Um, what I don't want to say people, but like casual football fans don't pay attention to. Um, but I pulled this up because I wanted to look at it. And this just shows. Again, I don't know if Mo Ibrahim is better than these two running backs, but they're two of the best running backs in Ohio State and, and the Big Ten history. Um, Jonathan Taylor against Ohio State. He had one game where he had 15 rushes for 41 yards. The next year, they didn't play. Then the year after that, he had 20 rushes for 52 yards. And then in the Big Ten championship game, he had finally had a good game. He had 20 rushes for 148 yards. But and two of the three times they played, he was held at 50 yards. Yeah, think about Jonathan Taylor's career yards per game average to just put that in perspective. Like this isn't some guy who's averaging like 100 yards a game. This guy was averaging like borderline 200 yards per game in his career. Like he was a 2,000-yard rusher if I remember correctly. So like – that is unheard of to yeah. like limit that guy to two fifty yard games. Like those are the outliers in his career were the two fifty yard games against Ohio State. And they did and his other game against Wisconsin, he had one big run. He had a seventy yard run, I believe. And that pretty much pads the stats. You take that out. If they stop him that time, he might be in the 75-yard range. Yeah, I mean, uh, same thing for Saquon Barkley. His freshman year, um, which he kind of surprised some people, he had – it was a loss, but he ran 26 times for 194 yards. That's an amazing game. But then the next year, he ran – he only had 99 yards. And then the game after that, the, his senior – his junior year, right before he went to the NFL, he had 21 carries for 44 yards – 2.1 yards per carry. I say that to say, I understand it's a different, but the defensive coach is relatively same. Ryan Day's still there. They're still talented. Mo Ibrahim has to be 
what you say, the second or third best player on the field for Minnesota, like yeah. not on Minnesota, on the field for them the field. to have a chance to win. And Ohio State is known that if they know you have a good running back and they know he's your offense, that they do everything they can to stop him. Yeah, I mean, it's what you said. You could load the box up. If seven banks can guard their best receiver in Ottman Bell, if – you know, Cam Brown or whoever gets to start opposite of them can shut down their second guy. Uh, this is a game where I think we're going to see seven. I, this is where I was talking about last week because Muhammad Ibrahim so uh, versatile. Uh, he's an athlete. Uh, he's really good and powerful. We might not see a Ronnie Hickman type bull. We might not see the cover safety as much as we had hoped. But, I, I mean, obviously we won't see the 4-4 because we just don't have the personnel for it. But we might see – a traditional 4-3 look instead of what we were all anticipating. And here's the thing with that, right? If they do a traditional 4-3 look, Minnesota's going to have chances. And that's the yeah. thing. Like, you know, I don't want this to sound negative because I do think Minnesota is a really good team. Their biggest thing is they're just going to have to ca- capitalize. And I think that they have the ability to do it. Um, there's someone who followed me on Twitter and was talking about, you know, the last three Ohio State Minnesota games have been under two scores. Minnesota actually does play Ohio State well. Um, and they have, you know, there's going to be opportunities. The thing with the team yep. like Ohio State, the Ohio State's Clemson's, Alabama's, Georgia's, you have to connect on every single one of those opportunities, and the game can get ugly quick if you don't. Um, I think Minnesota is good enough where they – and it's week one. I think they're good enough where they shouldn't get blown out. I think that this is a game, because Ohio State fans are crazy, myself included, where we like are a little stressed. I think that they put a little stress on us. I could even see this if they come out firing where they take a lead because they have the experience. They have an experienced quarterback, a really good running back. I could see them being up on us 14-3 or something like that in the first in the first quarter because I do think they're really good. I just think in a, in a battle of attrition, long term, you let Ohio State tee off on their very good running back. Uh, I don't know how long that can last. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I just don't – I don't know if they'll be – like they can capitalize, but how much can they capitalize? How many times are they going to capitalize successfully? That's the thing. Like, Will they score points? Yes. I'm not saying Ohio State's going to go into Minneapolis and shut them out. I'm not even saying they're going to hold them under 20 points. I just know on the other side their defense will not capitalize and that our offense will be able to take uh, pretty much whatever they want, I think. And uh, that is not a knock – on Minnesota, I think Minnesota fans are worried about their defense. I think they know their offense will be talented this year. But 32 points per game last year, uh, you're returning a lot of defensive starters, but that's a lot of defensive starters that gave up 32 points per game. So uh, will yeah. they be better? Probably not week one. No. And I mean, their issues were tackling, and that's like that's not an issue you're going to fix the first week. Yeah, no, not not at all. I mean, tackling is always ugly until at least week three or four. I, but I do think that to any of the Minnesota fans listening, I think you all benefit from playing Ohio State week one because first of all, you see where you're at, but also you get a lot of experience immediately, and I think that could go in the long run. For when you do play yes. some of those those uh, teams that you play later, that you have some experience and you've gotten to see that and you've gotten to build on it. Um, 
And I think that's my favorite thing about the Big Ten playing these Big Ten games. I know we already touched on that is you get to see it like, you know, you really don't learn that much when you play Akron week one or when you play some measuring stick. Yeah, I think Minnesota, I don't think they're going to win, but I think they're going to be better off for it. Yeah, and I, I, I don't – I mean, I don't want to, like, discount Minnesota. They're a good team. I think they're a borderline top 25 team this year. I think you had them in not the championship tier, but that middle tier in your projections. I'm in that same boat. I right. think they're going to finish in the upper half, like at a 7-5, and five, maybe not much better than that because I, I do think they draw – a relatively tough schedule, obviously, you get Ohio State in the East. But at, at the end of the day, I do think this team has potential to compete in the Big Ten West. No, I, I think so, too. Um, I'm actually, if I remember correctly, I'm actually higher on Minnesota than I am on Iowa. I think I, I think I have Iowa with a slightly better schedule, with a slightly better record, but only because they have an easier schedule. A lot of people are really high on Minnesota, on Iowa. I've been stumbling over my words today. A lot of people are really high on Iowa. I think when they play, Minnesota has a chance. To win that game, um, their schedule—it's just—it's just really kind of unfair. I mean, they play Ohio State, they play Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, and they get Indiana. Those those are two. What I have predicted the top two teams in the East. You get the top two teams in the East in your crossovers, and you already have to play Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, like. That's wrong. <laughs> like, there's nothing. Yeah, that it's is, not great. It's, it's not. not easy, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, I think we could go in a little bit more detail if we wanted to, but we do have to talk about the home team, the Buckeyes, today on the show. Um, I, I think the biggest storylines are kind of where we're going here because we haven't really seen well, – obviously, we don't know much about this team. We've seen the spring game. We've heard what we've heard in camp. But this game is going to be about storylines. It's not going to be about – uh, will Ohio State's run game do this? It won't be about how, like, like it's going to be about, is C.J. Stroud legit? Is Are the linebackers as good as the coaches are saying they are? Have the, have the defensive backs improved that much? That's what we're going to see this year. And we're not going to be able to, like, compare strengths and weaknesses. So this is all about biggest storylines here. And we're going to get into all of that after this short break. Thank you guys as always for listening. We are back. So... I've got a few here. Um, obviously, we could talk about the key players, but I think I want to start with containing Mohammed Ibrahim. We've already talked about it a little bit, but I, I, I think this is this is the key to the game. We've talked about the stats. We've talked about that. Uh, from the storyline standpoint, do you think this linebacker group has it in them to stop an elite running back? The linebacker group? I'm not sure. Um, if we slow down Muhammad Ibrahim, I think it's going to be because of the defensive line. I think it's hard to compare like players, positions, whatever. But I think Muhammad Ibrahim as a player is better than our linebackers. So if it comes to one-on-one linebacker versus Muhammad Ibrahim, I think Minnesota has the advantage. Um, I think as an Ohio State fan, you want to see him having to like you put, you know, in one of your film reviews where they got pressure up the middle and he had to cut and then he got tackled for a short game. That's what you want to see. You really want to see our linebackers on cleanup duty. If they're the ones who have to make the stop and it's not cleaning up, I think it could be a very long game. Honestly. Um, yeah. 
Because one thing about like running backs is running backs, one of their jobs is to break angles and like, you know, linebackers pursuance is their angles are to force cutbacks, to force them inside to traffic. And obviously DBs are out there to set the edge. We know what they do. They don't do that. So at the end of the day, in space, one-on-one, uh, an elite running back like Mohamed Ibrahim should beat a single linebacker most times, just given the athletic ability. But I think the interior penetration is the key to this whole game. I think if you could get Tanner Morgan flustered in the RPO game, if you get him flustered in that way, it'll set that up. And then that's where you get a key on Mohamed Ibrahim uh, is when you could take away that. And, you know, it's all it's all going to be give and take, like, uh, Taraja Mitchell, I think he's going to be physical enough to really impose his will on this Minnesota defense. But there are a lot of dudes who just haven't played much. Like at least Taraja Mitchell, the last three years, got in real game experience. He's played against elite running backs. He's made plays in games that matter. Like whether you think it's the older guys in Kevon Pope, Dallas Gantt, whether you think it's Cody Simon, these guys are going to be getting their feet wet against one of the best linebacker or running backs, excuse me, in not the Big Ten, the country. Yeah, I mean, anyone who says he's not one of the best running backs in the country hasn't been paying attention. And that and that just says anything. Maybe you don't watch Big Ten football. Maybe you just assume whatever. I don't know. But if you're going to mention Brees Hall and if you're going to mention all of these other players, you're going to mention B. John Robinson and all these other players, Muhammad Ibrahim has to be in that same conversation. And he is – He's the focal point. He he their their season will go where he goes. Um and that is 100%. and that's my biggest concern because as I mentioned before, they have two pieces that stand out. They have a very good offensive line, uh, a very big offensive line who has experience and second, third, fourth best running back in the country. Yeah. It's it's going to be a matchup. I think the front seven versus the offensive line and Muhammad Ibrahim are going to be the story, the biggest story of the game. Can they do that? Can they do it? I think the receivers are good. They're going to win some. Our DBs are going to win some. I think that's just going to be a nice back and forth. As long as the DBs aren't giving up those same stupid big plays where they're in position and they just aren't strong enough or whatever, uh, that I'd be I'd be good with that performance from the DBs. I, I think they're good enough. Uh, but the real – this is where the game's won. It's in the trenches as always, and it's with the linebackers. Yeah, so let me ask uh, you – Oh, yeah, you got a question for me? Yeah, let me ask you a numbers question. We we talked about, you know, how good he is, how good Muhammad Ibrahim is, how good their offensive line is, all that kind of stuff. What is a number that he could have before you feel worried about the defense? I think he could get 100 yards and not be worried because he's that talented. But what number could he get that you'd be like, okay, I'm a little bit concerned about this. Like, this is not just a good running back. I think uh, for sure, I think it's 150. I think 150 is the best over-under to set for that. If he rushes for 150 yards, his talent, I'd kind of be like, okay, like he got his today. Like, nothing you can really do about that, which – I'm hoping if that is 150 yards for him, no one else is successful on their offense and he's just been hammering it with like 30 carries. But if it's like 15 carries for like 150 yards, that's not a good sign because that's 10 yards a carry. That means it's all, yeah, you got to kind of take it on how the stats were earned as well. You know, 
Um, but yeah, if he's a 125, 150, I don't think I'm worried. If he goes over that 150 mark, I do think we've got some serious things that you could focus on immediately after week one to worry about. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I expect him to have. I think I'd expect him. Yeah, I expect 85 to like 125, and I would be fine with that. But if it creeps into that 140, that 150, if he's starting to break off, the one thing that I really would be worried about is I think you mentioned it. If he has like a 60 yard run and like he's gashing things like that, because it's different. It's different getting 110 yards on 25 carries. But if he's creeping at 100 on like 15, it's like, okay, I'm I'm starting to get and he can do it. He's talented. He ran for 100 yards in every game last year. Yeah, you got him. You just have to make him work for it. And that's the thing. Like if the defense gives up 200 pass yards tomorrow, 250 pass yards tomorrow, that's a successful day for me because they are going to attack deep. Like Tanner Morgan's a nine yard per completion guy. So like that is, that's a stats you should expect from them. And I just don't think as long as like this defense doesn't give up like 400 yards passing or 200 yards rushing, I think this game will come out. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and this is one thing that I like to do on our, on the other I-70 podcast. I like to say, like, what do you want to see that's going to make the fans happy when I lose? And I think that that's something. Yeah, I, I me, think that. Good. I, th- I think that's a big one is just containing Muhammad Ibrahim. If they can do that, keep him under 100 yards, I think fans would be like, all right, this defense is here. If Ohio State comes out giving up 275 yards of offense against this talented offense, I think that's a big success. Fans should take that away. Uh, If you're going to ask me the points that they're scoring, I think if they give up over 21, I'm like throwing up some red flags. But, you know, in first games, you kind of get some dumb touchdowns scored. You kind of get that stuff. We know P.J. Flex not going to be short of the trickery. So there's a lot that goes into it. I do believe that – I do believe there's going to be there's going to be bad. There's going to be good. It's a first game, uh, but if I had to set markers, I'd say 21 points and 275 yards of offense. I'd be happy. So I I really wish I would have went back and listened to it. I think I had Minnesota putting up like 24. Like I think for me right now, I'm thinking of like a 45, like a 41, 24, 45, 24. Yeah, Ohio that's State about where I'm at. Them out. Minnesota, I mean, they averaged 29 points a game last year. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's that's actually fairly – that's actually really good. Um, it's in the upper half of the country. Yeah, so I think – I mean the, – Their issue was they gave up 32 points per game last yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> so you can't you – So, know, yeah. The math says 32 is higher than 29. Because they had Kirk Soraka in their 11-2 and two year. He was unbelievable. And then they had two coordinators last year, and that didn't work. So they demoted one to the wide receiver coach, and one, Mike Sanford Jr., took over. So I think I think the continuity will be a big aspect, but I do think, you know, you're in year two of an offensive coordinator. You're still growing. You've got your first full offseason. So I don't think their offensive continuity is going to be enough to really challenge Ohio State's defense for four quarters. I agree, but I think they'll be better. Yeah, I do think they'll be better. I think when you have one voice kind of making those calls, it does always seem to be better than the co sort of thing. You know, it's very rare you have very uh, respected co-coordinators. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about Ohio State's defense. What are you looking to see from their offense? 
Offensively, uh, it's it's on it's honestly it comes down to the running backs and CJ Stroud. Uh, those two, those are the two positions I'm going to be watching closely. I feel honestly extremely confident in the offensive line. I, I feel very comfortable about it. Uh, the receivers, I, I really don't think you can have a better receiving situation than Ohio State. Honestly, I don't think anyone in the country would argue that. Um, CJ Stroud, obviously, I think that's the easiest answer. Uh, you just got to see what the kid's made of. Uh, I don't, I don't have a stat barometer for him. Uh, I don't know what Ryan Day's game plan is going to be with him. I don't know what the weather is going to be like. I want him to be composed. I want him to be controlled. I want him to not make mistakes. So if he comes out of the game with no interceptions, throws a couple of touchdowns, maybe runs for a touchdown, you know, puts up, you know, I think I look back at Justin Fields' first performance, and yes, against Florida Atlantic, but he only had like 250 yards passing, 40 yards rushing, uh, which is good, but it's not what we got accustomed to from Justin Fields. No, I mean, I I think my biggest thing for C.J. Stroud is I want to see him look in control. I don't care about the stats, uh, per se. Uh, I'm a stats guy, so I guess I shouldn't say I don't entirely care about the stats. Um, The thing that I want to see him look in control, um, I want to see, you know, some a little uh, some aggressiveness that he has to hit a couple of, of deep balls because that's just the receivers that we have. But I think the biggest thing is limiting the mistakes. Um, I, I would hope that he has a game with no turnovers, um, but if he does have a turnover, limit it to one uh, and, and yeah. see how he immediately bounced back from that. I think. Yeah, so I, I wanted to add to that, just seeing how he recovers from a mistake. Yeah, because he's going to make a throw down the sideline. Like, does he complete the next one? That's the biggest question. Yeah, and that's the thing that's going to make that because Ryan Day is smart. He is, and it's going to be frustrating to watch if I'm being honest because they're going to run the ball a lot, and it's going to look they like are. they're not going to give him a chance to really open it up. We know that they're not going to op- they're not going to open it up unless Minnesota forces it, which is possible. Um, but I just want to see him look in control. I just want to see him look confident, get to the right places, put the ball where it's supposed to be. And the the thing that he's been touted the most for is he gives his wide receivers a chance every time. I want to see. I want to see what it looks like. I do too. I, I think uh, two things that they've talked about all camp: demeanor and ball placement. Those are the two things CJ Stroud excels at. And the first time getting to really see them against an opponent. I'm super excited. This kid, I'm from California. This kid's from Rancho Cucamonga. Like anytime a, a Californian, so we got Chris Olave, we've got CJ Stroud in the starting lineup. This is this is awesome. This is exactly the national recruiting landscape that my fanhood built in California. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm taking credit for both of them um, as much as I can. Uh, but I think CJ Stroud. It's all about how he composes himself, like you said. That's really what we got to take away. If he throws for 180 yards, but it's like a 16 for 20 and super efficient 180 yards, I'm not going to be mad at that. Because like you said, I think Ohio State's going to run the ball 40 times tomorrow. No, I could definitely see that. I definitely think, like you mentioned earlier, you don't know if Trevion Henderson plays. I think he does because I think I, they've run the ball I, so I think much. everyone's getting the ball. I yeah. think all the running backs are going to play. I mean, we might have three running backs with 10 carries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, it's crazy. I think I think, I think, think we're going to get – I think Master Teague's going to be the first guy in. I do. And I know that's going to upset you. Uh, but it's I do gonna, think he – It's not going to upset he, I think he does provide a really nice um, – I, I think his play style will be really effective against Minnesota. Just his one cut downhill because they can't tackle. Yeah. <laughs> they can't 
thank you. And then you've got mine. Guess what? Then they're going to bulldoze them. And then guess what they're going to bring in? They're going to bring in mine Williams. And then after that, oh, they're yeah, gonna they're going to they're gonna tackle run. that guy. And then they're going to bring and in then, the home run oh, threat of Travion Henderson. Oh, my God. The fastest running back in the room. Good luck. Uh, yeah, like I think they're going to run the ball 40 times tomorrow. 250 yeah. yards. Easy, I mean, 300 yards. For someone like me, I'm going to love that. I mean, I like yeah. I played football in Ohio, and it gets cold, if you don't know. Um, I played in a very, very old school league. Like, we were playing with two, three tight ends. Like, I lo- like I'm not that old. <laughs> like, nobody plays like that anymore. Literally every team. Like, we were playing two-back systems. Teams had two, three tight ends. Like, it was, like, old school football. I want run the ball. Like, Yes, I will watch that all day. And I know there's a lot of people that's not going to want to see it, but I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to love it. So I, I, I definitely Plus, agree. Let's take it even further. They don't. They run a 3-4 defense. Like It's kind of like a hybrid 3-4 with their outside linebacker kind of taking on a stand-up defense and role. But they're small. The three Our f- offensive line is gigantic. Yeah. I, the, they, I want to give them slight benefit of the doubt of the fact that their offensive line is huge and that hopefully they've learned how to, you know, play with that a little bit. But also, I think the 3-4 is the worst defense ever created. And I know no one agrees with me because there are some really good NFL teams that run it. But NFL is not real football. NFL football is boring. The 3-4 is a terrible defense, especially in college. Yeah, unless... Unless you can find the specific, like you need a three hundred and twenty pound nose tackle to run a successful three four. Minnesota does not have that, and at least one of those, uh, and at least one of those outside linebackers has to be a unicorn because he has to be able to yeah. he has to be able to defend the run, set the edge, pass and rush, play, and yeah, pass set the coverage. edge. Yeah, it's ridiculous, it, and like they run a quarters defense, like. Okay, we've seen what we've seen Northwestern. We've seen a ton of teams do this, and it still limit big plays. But when you don't have the athletes to keep up, when you're starting to get off schedule, it's not really going to limit big plays. It's actually going to put you more at risk for big plays. So the one thing that I will say, because I think you bring up a good point, and this is going to be something interesting to watch. Ohio State was it last year? Or was it two years ago that Ohio State was not good in the red zone? Uh, the Dwayne Haskins year. So what? Justin I, Fields is always good in the red zone. Okay. Maybe okay, maybe maybe that doesn't matter then. Cause I was just thinking with the bend but don't break defense, the thing that's gonna matter is Ohio State can get like I mean, Garrett Wilson may feast in this game because he's perfect on them little twelve to fifteen yard oh, yeah. routes. And against quarters, that's what you do. That's what we get did against Northwestern. But my the biggest question, especially with a young quarterback when the field strengths, if they if that quarters does work, if it works the way it's supposed to, they do bend but don't break, how does a young quarterback handle the red zone? Because that's another thing. Yeah. That's where Minnesota can get us if they can force the zone, field yeah. goals. Um, it's easy to score a 60-yard touchdown when you can out-athlete out someone. It's not easy to score on first and ten from the ni- first and nine from the nine, and you have all those plays, and everyone's right there, and you really have to be able to read and react and figure it out. Yeah, and I think C.J. Stroud being athletic adds a dimension that helps, but I, I think that's it. Once again, we're going to be relying heavily on these running backs, which is why I thought they were a huge storyline to bring up before this game. No, they definitely are. Because a red zone, it's all going to start with that. And then I guess the last thing I want to talk about, because we kind of gave our positions in the microscope on both sides of the ball. Uh, Kerry Coombs, year two. 
Uh, we all know he didn't really have an offseason. He kind of talked about the struggles of him. He's a very personable guy. He's a guy who likes to be face-to-face. He likes to be a hands-on coach, and he wasn't able to do that a lot last year. So this offense is not lacking explosivity. You know, it, it can score. It is a it can it's big plays. It has them. Uh, can carry Coombs, whose defense struggled last year, bounce back and limit some of these big plays? I think that's what I want to see from this game. I think that's one of the storylines I'm watching. That's the thing that kind of worries me the most is I'm not sure that Kerry Coombs is a good defensive coordinator. Um, We've seen it multiple times over. You can be a great position coach and not a good coordinator. You can be a great coordinator and not a good head coach. Um, Not saying that he is or isn't. We haven't seen that. But I'm just really interested to see, especially because in a long-term sense, when we lost Coombs, we had issues with our secondary. We get him back. Our secondary recruiting is amazing. To get him back, you have to make him a DC. But if he's not good, what happens? Is he going to take a demotion to stay on the team? Is he going to take an Al Washington being a co-DC or something like that? So I do think to that's... To help with the stuff he's not good at. Right. Yeah. I think that's going to be a really interesting long-term storyline to watch. And that's the one thing I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. I you're starting to convince me that the corners are going to be good. And I, I agree with that because he's a great individual position coach. But as a as a as a coordinator, it's the entire defense. And yeah. you can't put too much into a pandemic year. You, you don't know. But there are just some things that he did last year that it felt like any competent D.C. Yeah. would have just been like, listen, you don't have the players for it. Let's adjust. And he didn't adjust. So that's going to be really interesting. And again, kudos to Minnesota. They're a team that can test that. Yeah, and he's a guy who really wants to run a multiple scheme. He wants to be a guy who could run press man, who could run cover three, who could run combo coverages, you know, on both sides. So I really do see that providing a challenge for him in the year he had last year. But I also just want to see the old Ohio State defense, the one where we get two lengthy corners who just bully outside receivers all day. And I want physical safety play. I think Josh Proctor can provide that. Uh, but this four-two-five, this four-three, this combo defense is going to be interesting because it's going to provide a lot of different uh, solutions to offensive stuff. Yeah. So, how much does it work? You know, balancing adding a bunch of stuff versus being really good at some stuff because we've seen it with Northwestern. They're really good at what they do defensively. They do one thing and they do it really well. Is this multiple NFL stuff? Is this stuff Kerry Coombs picked up from Mike Rabel really going to add that much? And that's where I'm kind of lost. Yeah, I think um, my 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 biggest question with him is: Is he in tune with the personnel? I mean, one yeah. of the biggest one of the biggest things against Alabama and their offense, we ran a four four. And you had the best receiver in a decade in Devontae Smith. And you're running a 4-4. And everyone knows what's play of the, the biggest play of them all, where everyone saw how embarrassing that was when Tuff Borland was trying yeah. to guard Devontae Smith over the middle. When Sarkeesian drew up that play, he knew exactly when he was going to call it. And he knew exactly who he was going to go after. And it worked to perfection because guess what? 
Tough Portland's not making up that ground. No. We all know that. <laughs> no. Most- and it's not his fault. It's not his fault. We always blame Tough Portland. It's not Tough Portland's fault he was in that situation. No, there were there were there were first round corners who couldn't guard Devontae Smith. And so it's not, okay, fine. They beat us, whatever. There was injuries, fine. But as a coaching decision to think we're going to run a four-four against Alabama. I have questions. It didn't make sense. I have questions. And- I think it sucks because we were really thrown into a big problem because the safety, the health of the DBs just wasn't there last year. The the depth wasn't there last year. So we really did just have to go with the best 11 we had at times. And sometimes that was the four linebackers, and that sucked. I just can't forgive that against Alabama. I just hope it doesn't happen ever again. <laughs> yeah. That's honestly where I'm I just hope that I don't a, think it will. A rookie mistake, a new point. I think maybe. we got to trust. I think we got to trust Coombs. I think we got to trust the position coaches to know that they got the players right this year. And I think uh, final thoughts before we move on to a Millie man, uh, Quinn Ewers. Uh, I guess what's the last thing you're looking for from Iowa State? I think what I'm looking for is I want to see an offense that's explosive. Um, they don't have to be explosive all game, but I want to see the elements of like, okay, this is game one and three games. This can be, this can be really good. I want to see a defense that's aggressive. I want to see a couple of turnovers and I want to see some sacks. Um, I want to see a defense that looks like they know what they're doing. And I want to see a defense, especially the corners that look strong. Like the biggest issue with the corners, I try to tell everyone this. I was talking to my friend about this. He said it was, you know, um, picking hairs, but the corners were in the right place at all times. A lot of the time. They just got bullied. Like I want to see them look competent. Like they don't have to look amazing, but the only mistakes I want to see are game one mistakes and not like – I don't know if the talent is there. I want them to, I, 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 to wrap it up, I want them to out-talent Minnesota. I want to see the pieces that make me believe the next that week yeah. that they can be Oregon. That this can be a national championship team. Which is what I predicted. Like, <laughs> Back to you that. took pretty much, pretty much took everything I wanted out of my mouth. Uh, so I'm just going to go with my old high school coach, my every coach I've ever had. Uh, I just want to see maximum effort, honestly, on top of everything you said. I want this team to come out fired up first game i want them to want to like just beat the brakes off them every single play there's gonna be mistakes you don't know how you make up for mistakes this is what my coach always told me you make the mistake at 110 percent you want, so that's what i want to see that's yeah. that's day one stuff that's what like you're getting yelled at when you're seven years old in flag football and you're like coach i don't know what that means Mm-mm. that's what i want i want the day one you're eight years old you're strapping up that helmet for the first time run at them hit them hard and we'll win this game. I mean, and that's that. Uh, but, yeah, I guess uh, we got to wrap this up here shortly. So I want to get to this. Uh, quick hit on the best off-field story of the week. Quinn Ewers gets a milli. Uh, I just want your initial thoughts on this. This is crazy. You know, this is really banking on the future of a college football star. But I think if you get in on the ground floor, this could be extremely valuable for them. Uh, a lot of old dudes are salty. Uh, saying this isn't college football. Uh, I'm in the park where this should have been college football the whole time. And, yeah, yes, Quinn Ewers, the million-dollar man, uh, hasn't played a game. We think he's the four-string quarterback. How do you feel about it? I think it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, and I absolutely love it. 
Like giving a million dollars to a, a fourth string quarterback who's never played a college football game is like the worst business model ever. But I don't care. <laughs> give him the money. Like if you want to give it to him, give it to him. Like uh, you said, you this pop- should have been college football for years now. I'm never going to count anyone's pockets. I, I may side out of the business because like, like it's a three-year deal and like there's a chance he's not even Ohio State starter in three years. I know most people don't believe that, but there is a chance. I mean, CJ Stroud is going to start for two years and then there's going to be a quarterback battle of whoever's there. I mean, Kyle McCord could be there. They're talking about trying to get Jaden Davis, the 2023 quarterback. So who knows what Quinn's going to be at Ohio State. Um, so it's stupid. But it's amazing. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his family. I hope C.J. Stroud and every other quarterback in the country gets a similar deal. Um, but it's stupid. It's just such a bad business model. But hey, if they're gonna be if they're gonna be stupid, man, count the coins. Like, yeah, and regardless, I'm not we're not. I no. mean, on Buck Off, we've said this hundreds of times. We're not pocket watchers, uh, except for the positive. We we do watch positive pockets, and it's not because of being jealous. It's because like. College athletes have deserved to get paid. And, you know, Quinn Ewers got a million dollars from an autograph company for his exclusive rights to autographs. That's pretty interesting when you really think about what that means. You know, we've had college football players the last 10 years who have gotten in trouble for signing autographs. Like, this is kind of unheard of. It's unprecedented. And, you know, I've had a lot of people say, oh, this isn't the craziest NIL story. But to me, it is for one reason and one reason alone. Quinn Ewers isn't even probably going to step on the field this year like this is all just investing that's what it is and the brands who are trying to get in early are really kind of setting a precedent for what nil stuff should be expected in the future no i mean that's exactly right um and i think you know, obviously not everyone is going to get the Quinn Ewers bag. Uh, he's, you know, a special case in the fact that, like, he's from Texas, really recognizable, whatever. But um, I think that shows what the, you know, what the possibilities are. Yeah. And I think that's I mean, really what it shows, honestly, just the endless possibilities that NIL is going to be presenting athletes. I mean, if C.J. Stroud is as good as I think he's going to be, which means I think he's going to get an invite to New York for the Heisman ceremony, how much money do you think he's going to make next year as a returning starter for Ohio State after potentially leading them to a Big Ten championship, the playoffs, a national championship potentially, whether it's an appearance or win, and he comes back because he doesn't have eligibility to go to the NFL? How much money are you paying for that if you're willing to pay a fourth-string quarterback? Yeah, and, you know, becoming a household name in the sport, we already saw it. Bryce Young is just getting started at Alabama. He's a million-dollar guy. Like, outside of these elite college basketball kids who are probably already getting paid a million dollars under the table, um, I really just don't see uh, how C.J. Stroud isn't getting to that eight figures. Uh, how Bryce Young, if he's not good, doesn't get to that eight-figure number. Like, there is real money you could put behind these kids. Like, I could see them making $10 million through advertisement sponsorships and all this stuff. I don't think it's that outlandish to think. And then you got that. That's an autograph company. They're wagering their future of their company on Quinn Ewers. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean it's just like – like you think about all the different things and there are so many ways that NIL works. Like, like they're like 
what, 10 different Ohio State players at this point who got cards? You know, and that's yeah. not, they're not getting money off of that, and but they get to drive a brand. They get, they get to drive a brand new lease. Like, come on now. And honestly, I think no one knows what CJ Shroud's at. He probably has something. But I think he would already be close to that number if it wasn't for a quarterback competition. And maybe he doesn't get it during the season because maybe they don't want them focusing on that. But as soon as January hits, CJ Stroud secured this deal. CJ Stroud secured this deal. CJ Stroud secured this deal. The Bryce Young, another deal. Like DJ Uyunglele, another deal. Like it's coming. Yeah. And I guess I just wanted to bring it up because, I mean, it's fun to talk about. Like, this is exciting times in college football. It's unprecedented times. Like, in 10 years, we're still going to be getting crazy stories because this sport just is always changing. So, yeah. And then I guess uh, I guess we could jump to closing it out today. Uh, the best for last will be game predictions from here on out until later uh, on the best for last. But I guess – uh, how do you see this playing out on the field? How do you see Ohio State and Minnesota coming down to it? And what's your final score prediction? Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I do think this is a game where Minnesota might have a lead early. It might be close or tied at half. And then I think Ohio State kind of uh, rolls them in. I think I'm going um, – I think I'm going to go 41 41- to 24. I think I mentioned that earlier, but that sounds good to me. Uh, It's a cover, but it's barely a cover. It's a 17-point game that was really closer for most of it with a couple of late touchdowns. I think Minnesota puts up a really good fight. I think they play a really good game, and they leave and their fans leave happy. Um, I think, yeah, 41-24. 41-24. I think I'm in that same range – I was going to probably say in that like 38 to 24 range, but it's 14 and a half spread. And I know which way I'm going on it. That means more. I'm going to take more points than you. I think Ohio state, it's probably close at halftime. And I think Ohio state really reels off some points in the second half. I'm going to go 48 to 24. And okay. so I think six touchdowns, a couple field goals. Uh, that's one thing we haven't talked about a lot. I don't even want to bring it up now just because I don't want to worry about it is the kicking situation. So, uh, we'll say that one for once we see it on the field because we've got a new punter, we got a new kicker possibly. Um, bringing that up late. Hopefully you guys don't um, think I'm doubting the kickers. I think they're going to be really good, but I think 48-24 is my final score prediction. I think Ohio State in the first half, they kind of trade shots. I think there's some big plays on both sides. And then Ohio State comes into halftime, they make adjustments, they settle in, and then the offense just sort of blows the brakes off of them. That sounds good to me because I, I don't know if we've actually said it, but I think Ohio State will have one of the best offenses in the country. And I think that just needs to be stated because there is going to be a new quarterback. 100%. And I don't think I don't think it really takes a step back from last year. I think it actually gets better. I'm with that. Uh, so, yeah, Jordan, uh, you got an article coming this weekend. Where else can we find you? Uh, yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, I'll be doing big thoughts so that can drop, that'll drop on Sunday. Uh, my thoughts for the game. So definitely follow that. Um, I seventies football show will be dropping on Monday. Um, so we'll be preview reviewing these games, previewing the next week's slate in the big 10. Uh, and then obviously you can follow me on Twitter at Jordan W three, three, zero. Yeah, and for me, you guys can follow me at Chris Rennie CFB. As Jordan mentioned earlier, I'm doing the game previews, and I'll be doing an Ohio State film review every Monday, so be on the lookout for that. 
outside of Buck Off. You really can't find me anywhere else talking. But uh, you can find us on the Instant Reaction Show after the game tomorrow night. And that's going to be another fun time, so you guys just can't get enough of us. So, overall, I'm, I'm excited for this season to start. I'm really happy we got to get this show done. Uh, we've had tons of tasks and tons of obstacles through this episode that you guys won't see because I'm going to edit it pretty good. That really, really made this show way longer than it needed to be. Yeah, let, let's just hope that Ohio State's operation is better than our operation today. <laughs> Week one was not our strongest, but uh, we're just excited. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. Game day, everybody, we're here. We've made it, and in a few hours, whenever you listen to this podcast, it can start a minute after this thing ends. Ohio State could be playing Minnesota, and that is where we're here. The journey is the journey. The offseason journey is over. It's time. It's football season, and with that, I'm out. Jordan, anything else you want to say? Go Bucks. Go Bucks. That's I, it. Adios, guys. Have a good one.